He's always doing stuff. Well, today is uh, Sunday, and it's uh, Pentecost Sunday. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pentecost Sunday. It's harvest time, amen? It's time for him to bring in the thousands and millions and billion soul harvest at the end of the age. And that's what Pentecost really is. It's the celebration of in-gathering. The, the Lord's faithfulness to provide rain and sun. Today we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pick up, those of you who've been tracking, we do have one more installment of Pioneer, but we're going to pick that up next week. The work of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just pray that you would come upon us now as our teacher, the one who reveals the truth that sets us free. We ask that you would energize us, empower us, anoint us, Lord, to know you. We, we just bless you this morning. And as we prayed and pre-service prayer, Lord, we're, we're just your sons and daughters in a room with our hearts open, our eyes up, our hands out, and we just say, come Holy Spirit. Could you pray that simple prayer? Come Holy Spirit. One more time. Come Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, that what you promised you intend to fulfill We thank you that in these last days, you promised to pour out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. So do it. Could you do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we've got to think about the God who longs to be with us and to dwell with us. The personal empowering and enabling presence of God. And I'm not going to go through all of that in your handout. If you, if you need a handout, raise your hand. Maybe Terry or someone can get handouts. We have plenty to go around. Raise them up nice and high. Maybe Terry could walk around. We got a couple hands raised up. It'll be on the screens as well, the work of the Holy Spirit. How many know that the Bible, though it's 66 books written by like 40 authors over 1,500 years, tells one unified story Amen. written in three different languages? But, and how many know because it's such an expansive, glorious stories, there's, there's threads. I mean, there's many threads, but then there's big threads, probably five or six big threads that all are the same thread, but they tell the story a little different. And one of the main threads of, from Genesis to Revelation is the story of a God who wants to dwell amongst his people. Amen. In the creation, we see in Genesis 3.8, he's walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And at the consummation or the new creation, we see God dwelling amongst us forever. In Mount Sinai, we see the revelation of the God who delivers from slavery, and then marries himself to a people. It was really a marriage celebration, honestly, a ceremony where the, the two 
former slaves, Israel and God, Yahweh, the covenant, enter into a covenant together. But God comes with fire and rumbling and smoke. He dwells amongst his people. And then he gives insight and revelation to Moses. And then he anoints those who work with cloth and color and art and beauty. And the spirit energizes and they build a, a tabernacle because God has had a purpose not just to rescue from slavery, but to establish in the land, to give him a promise. And so we see the tabernacle was God's sort of temporary provision to be in the midst of his people. And then we see after many years, God so profoundly moves in the heart of David that David doesn't want God to live in a temporary structure. He wants to live forever at the center of God's people, the capital of God's people in Jerusalem. And so the temple, when obviously David couldn't do it, he was a man of war, but Solomon with a huge head start given to him by his father David, his own treasury, his own riches, his own blueprint, all that he saw for the temple. Solomon, with the help of many, built this place. And in 1 Kings 8, we see the Spirit of God, the presence of God flood the temple, the cloud, the glory. And then we see the exile when God's people failed to, to fulfill their end of the, the covenant. God didn't fail. God was always faithful, always pursuing, always leading, always drawing, always trying to call. <laughs> he, his, his story hasn't changed. I want to be with you. But we see in Exodus chapter 10, verse 18, one of the most sobering, haunting passages in the Bible where the prophet sees the presence of God lift and leave the temple of God. And yes, he raises up a few prophets, Haggai, Malachi, some of the minor prophets, some of these who come home from exile, and they rebuild a temple, but there's no scripture that ever says the presence of God returned to a building. Are we tracking? And so when the glory left, they came back even after exile from Assyria and Babylon, and they rebuilt a place that felt like a shabby imitation of the former glory, but there was never a passage where the glory of God again came and filled that building. And then we meet Jesus after 400 years of prophetic hush. Did God's purpose to dwell among us fail? His plan and when we read this verse of John 1.14, it's very familiar, but you can't get blinded by familiarity. The implications of John 1.14 carry the thread and the storyline of the God who wants to dwell with us forward and to their intended conclusion. It says in John 1.14, the Word, read it with me on the screen, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Don't know why that's not on there. I apologize. But the word, help me out, Gene, Greek scholar, help me out. He made his dwelling. It's the word tabernacled. Everyone say tabernacled. So the glory that Ezekiel saw depart, and then for 400 years, the people of God, they're kind of back in the land. Now it's not. Babylon who's oppressing them, then the, you know, the, the kingdoms pass, the, the Greeks, you know, the Medes, 
now the Romans at the time of Jesus, and so they're in the land, but they're, the glory's not there. And so when Jesus shows up, John has insight and revelation by the Holy Spirit. God in flesh is in your midst. The true tabernacle. Hebrews chapter 9 says the reason why Moses had to pay such careful attention to how he built the tabernacle in the wilderness is because there's a true tabernacle in heaven. And when the Word became flesh, it carried God's purposes forward. I've always wanted to dwell with you, among you. I've made provision throughout salvation's story. But here's my best work yet. The incarnate Word, the Word made flesh, He will tabernacle among you. It will be the glory in human form. The glory of God. And so significantly, I don't have time to really get into some of this. this go study this, this uh, half sheet. There's, there's like a bunch of diamonds all over it. There's a bunch of verses. I'm not going to touch all of them. But it'll give you something to go chew on and meditate on. Amen. How many are thankful that the Word's always ready for us to feast on? And that's how we grow. There is not a secret how to grow and to be solid in Jesus. Get in the Word. Let the Word get in you. There, it's not a secret. It's the greatest invitation ever given to us that through the word and by the holy spirit and even better the third with others there's no better way to be solid in your faith to grow up to know who you are there's just not a better way than to be a person of the word so the word becomes flesh and he jesus tabernacles among us so when god shows up he doesn't show up in a building he shows up in a person come on somebody say amen and I say this, I've said this so much over the last five years because I felt the Lord's zeal on it. He gave me this phrase, Jesus reveals God's image to humanity. You want to know what God likes, looks like? Who do we look to? Jesus. Not a trick question. Help me out. Who do we look to? Jesus. Jesus reveals God's image to humanity, but he also reveals God's intention for humanity. That's a good one. See how they both start with I. God re Jesus reveals God's image. This is what I look like and what I'm like. But because Jesus is the second Adam, He also reveals God's intention for humanity. So what you see in Jesus, it's by the Spirit and grace of God can become true of us. His image and His intention. The only exception to the real Jesus is, is His sinlessness which is a big exception. But he did what he did, Romans 8, 1 through 4, so that in him, sin and the flesh could be condemned so that you and I, by the spirit of liberty, life, and peace, could walk in a manner that is upright and pleasing to God. So Jesus reveals God's image, this is what I'm like, and God's intention. This is what humanity was always meant to be like my son. And this is why Romans says that he is the firstborn among many sons and daughters. He's not the exception to the rule. He is the rule. This is what you see in me is to be increasingly true of you by my spirit and my grace. I am the way and the truth. In the life. And what we see as we get to Pentecost here in a minute 
why it's so significant. All of, I, don't, I just gave you summaries. All of Jesus was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He was anointed by the power of the Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. He did miracles by the Spirit. And if the Word made flesh, the perfect man, was that reliant from, from beginning? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. The prophets who saw His coming prophesied by the Spirit. He, he didn't start the ministry until the dove landed on His shoulders and the Father spoke His identity and vocation over His life. And if Jesus is that needy and reliant upon the Holy Spirit, who thinks we might need him to slay our presumption and self-reliance. We need, if Jesus was filled, full, led, anointed, etc., then we need the Holy Spirit. Jesus reveals God's image to humanity, and Jesus reveals God's intention for humanity. And central to that revelation is Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit. I love this promise. It's in, my dad tried to argue with me yesterday when I said, you know, the greatest body of teaching is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the kingdom manifesto of discipleship. He goes, yeah, son. But what about the discourse, the upper room discourse? And he got me. I mean, John 13 through 17 is equally as good. It's, I mean, I don't, thank God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you don't have to pick the best. It's all good. It's all pure. It all gives light to the eyes. The scriptures are a light and a lamp. Hallelujah. By them you're warned, and in keeping them is great reward. And how can we keep our way pure? By being in the word. You get it. So all of the word is good. But here in the discourse in John 14, Jesus has washed their feet. He served the, 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 the Eucharistic meal. He's, this is my body, my blood. Satan has entered Jesus, uh, Judas, not Jesus. Hello. And then Jesus speaks this, I'm leaving, but I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you for, help me out, Justin, it's on the screens there, John 14, 16 through 18. He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. It's on your notes. You can see it. Because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. He lives with you, but he will be, read it with me, in you. On your notes right there in John chapter 14. He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. And I want you to notice that even as Jesus' entire ministry, I don't have time to go into it. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As my Father's working I'm working, and my work bears witness to the Father's work. Amen. So if you've seen me, you've seen him. Jesus is saying, when I do what I'm about to do, go to the cross, right? Be the lamb that finally is the sole and supreme sufficient sacrifice for sin. When my body is torn, that is God the Father through my sacrifice, opening the way for all of humanity to come right into my presence. And when I do that... I'm not going to just leave you hanging. I'm going to come to you by my Holy Spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, floundering and wandering and just hopeless and despairing and helpless. I'm going to show up again, but now by my Holy Spirit. 
And then Jesus said those, those epic words in John 16, 7. He goes, guys, it's actually to your benefit that I leave because up to this point, I've been with you, but we've saved our best for the last. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to be in you. I'm not just going to be with you, but in you. Oh, I love it. And on one occasion, Acts 1-4, while he was eating with them after his resurrection, <laughs> fast forward a few days, <laughs> he was eating with him with his glorified, resurrected body. My wife and I were on a, a prayer walk and just talking about our lives and kids and family. And uh, we were talking about new creation and are we going to eat? You better believe we're going to eat in the new creation. <laughs> Jesus is with his glorified body eating. Come on, somebody say amen. Who, what a bummer if there would be no eating in the age to come, but there will be eating, just no cholesterol. Come on, somebody say amen. I don't know. And Jesus is told, <laughs> he's told his disciples, the ministry I began and really the hour I was born was to fulfill all righteousness and to be the lamb who would be slain and to usher in and inaugurate God's kingdom. But that ministry I'm passing to you, but you cannot do what I've called you to do without the Holy Spirit's infilling. And so he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my promise, of my father, that my father promised, which you've heard about me speak about. Verse 8, read it with me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives them a clue that the assignment I have for you will require me always. Amen, Robert. It'll always require me. Because even beyond you fulfilling some assignment or mission or role, the purpose, even behind that purpose, is the underlying purpose that I just love being with you. I love dwelling amongst you. And so Jesus ascends and they see his, they see him leave. The angels descend and say, what are you looking at? Go do what he said. And they wait. We know the story. Ten days. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The promise, the prophetic word that John the Baptist said and when he saw the Lamb of God, Jesus, in all four gospel accounts, I baptize you with water, 
for repentance. But the one after me will be the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that the ministry of Jesus, yes, primary, his, supremely his ministry was about dealing with sin, but it wasn't all his ministry was about. The blood of Jesus ratified the new covenant, which is the Holy Spirit for all of God's people. In other words, this is why Paul says on numerous occasions in Ephesians 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit is a down payment, a deposit of what is coming in fullness at the end of the age. But in, in order for you and I to inherit that and to be brought in on life in the Holy Spirit, there had to be a ratified covenant of the new arrangement between God and humanity, which is I will not dwell only in a select few. I will not dwell in a building. I will come to reside in all of those who repent and put their faith in my son. And the blood of Jesus was the ratification of the new covenant Holy Spirit. And this, the covenant is just a word that means arrangement or agreement. And so the blood of Jesus pays for sin so that sin can be cleansed, so that the temple of God, which is you and I, can be a, a fit vessel to receive the Holy Spirit. But the blood of Jesus was the, the ratification, it was the seal, it was the stamp. And now, when, the, when Pentecost comes and the Son of Man in His glorified body is teaching about the kingdom for 40 days and He ascends, and He sits down at the right hand of His Father, providing purification from sin, Hebrews 1.3, he and the Father together partner with their ultimate purpose, which has always been, I want to dwell with and now in my people. This is, this is principally what is burning in the heart of God. This is what is driving the redemptive storyline of God. This is the last page of the Bible and the dwelling of God among men is here at last. Amen. This is God's heart. So what happened at Pentecost, as if I'm like some doctor who can diagnose all that happened. So much happened. But this is just to try to give you some solid teaching. And so for, for us at the end of the service to cry out that what he did then, he will do now. Amen. Well, we know, at least we know in part, because we have the scriptures and we have church history and the testimony of God, that principally when the Holy Spirit came, the disciples received new purified hearts. For some of you whose hearts are full of shame and sin, you ought to say, Amen. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the same one who saw the glory leave, also saw a big dead army that once the spirit and breath of God touched them, they rose up and became mighty for God. But before they became an army to do with God, he saw before that chapter in chapter 36, a day when God would rip out the hearts of the stone of, of the God's people. He would give them a heart of flesh and he would write his law upon them. So before there's an army to do great things, there's a surgeon who wants to rip out your heart of stone and give you a new pure heart. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's good. 
Come on, so many of us. I want to do for God. Well, he's like, let me take, I've taken you out of Egypt if you're a son or a daughter of God. But now I want to take Egypt out of you. I was reading that in commentary yesterday. Uh, Craig Keener, this genius scholar in uh, the book of Acts, he said, uh, it was actually Jay, some other dude. I read it. Uh, it wasn't Keener, but Keener's great. Shout out. Asbury, brilliant. Um, it took God approximately... 11 days to get Israel out of Egypt. It took them 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. That was the one-liner. I thought it was clever. So what happened principally at Pentecost, Peter, when he testifies in Acts 15, 8, 9, he says, God purified our hearts by faith. Amen. So Pentecost means purity of heart. Can we say amen to that? Pentecost also means they had power. Someone say power. Purity and power. The cowardly, scared, fearful disciples who are locked in the door in John 20 are now the spirit-anointed powerhouse witnesses who, even though they're ordinary, unschooled, they are mistaken to be companions of Jesus because they're speaking with such anointing and power. Come on, somebody. Those of us who feel that I feel it, the inadequacy, the, the nervousness, and I, don't, I won't know... God wants to come upon us with power to release boldness. What else happened at Pentecost? They had new speak, speech, prophetic speech. Those passages that these good Jews read every day in synagogue began to be masterfully woven together. Just read Peter's sermon. It's brilliant. All he's doing is ripping Hebrew scriptures but the Spirit came upon them, not just to give them new utterance with the Scripture, but also enabled them to speak unknown languages to the speaker. But the listeners, the 13 or so nations that were present, heard the wonders of God in their own native tongue. How many think we need that in a dog-eat-dog, dog, the crosshairs, the, the plethora of language and culture? God wants to give us inspired and anointed prophetic laser-like speech that cuts through the noise, the crud, the stuff, and to deliver and to reveal the, what God has done in and through His slain and slaughtered, crucified, raised and risen and ascended and soon coming King Jesus. We need anointing. The, and Pentecost is an invitation to have new language and new speech because you've got a new heart and filled with new power. What else happened at Pentecost, thank you, is that a new community was formed. The kingdom community of Jew and mostly Jews at that time, and the, the mission would grow. But this community that was oriented around Jesus as Lord, as King. It was a spirit-born community. It wasn't a bunch of people trying to get the lowest common denominator for us to hang out and to tolerate each other. The Spirit birthed a new, beautiful people of God of both Jew and Gentile slave. We'll read it later in Galatians 3. But a new community was born, a community of the Spirit. So new hearts, how many would take one of, that, one of those today? New power, new speech, new language supernatural you didn't strive for it god gave it for the hour and a new community that was at its heart is principally inexistent to to help foster and uh, facilitate life in the spirit as a lifestyle 
That's why, I, even as we were worshiping, you know, I was just over here doing my thing, just jamming. But as I heard you sing, I thought, man, your singing transforms me. I know God does, but I was thinking of the, the beauty of the scattered people of God who have nine to fives, who are retired, who've got kids, grandkids, whatever, sports, all this. But when we gather, something happens when we all fix our collective gaze at Jesus. And I felt it as we were just playing. We're doing way more than just rote. And, and, and God is forming us as we gather together around his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the spirit. Things are happening. I sense, I was just, you know, just playing, God, you're making a way, even now. So a new community. All right, so how do you receive the Spirit? We're doing so good on time. We're already almost there. Repent and believe. Say that with me. Repent and believe. When Peter preached his masterful sermon, which just basically showed how God accomplishes his purpose through his son's death and resurrection beautiful sermon. And when the crowds understand, oh my goodness, we missed it. But that they didn't miss out. They may have missed the moment, but they didn't miss out. God and his mercy was wooing and drawing. The Bible says that they were cut to the heart. Everyone say cut to the heart. See, at the end of the day, it wasn't about Peter's speech. It wasn't about his ability to string a bunch of passages together. It's about a God who was zealous for those who are not in his family to come into his family. How many believe that? That it's through the foolishness of teaching and preaching that God brings people in to repentance and faith into his family. It is not by the arm of flesh, amazing utterance or great teaching or great lights or sound, but that God wants to raise up his church in this hour to believe that there's power in his gospel. Even in our day, even in our day where it's so foolish and weak and silly, it's the wisdom of God revealed through his son who lays bare his holy arm to save the world through his power. And as Peter preaches that you killed him, you with the help of wicked men put him to death, but God raised him from the dead, and now he's here. We're his witnesses. We saw them. The 12 saw them. Then 1 Corinthians 15. Then about 500 more people saw the resurrected king. You can't make it up. It's like the most historically scrutinized event. It happened. The man Christ Jesus came in history, died the death that we deserve, lived the life we could never live, to give us a life that we could never earn in history. And that man who split history will come to bring the consummation of all things. And so how do we receive the Holy Spirit? The Spirit who is a de deposit, an installment, a foretaste of what we'll experience in fullness. We repent and believe. We dethrone ourselves and we say, He is the world's rightful King and Lord. We change our mind and our perspective and our direction. Instead of running from, we run toward. And we believe that what God has done through Jesus is sufficient. And the Bible says when, when you do that, Peter finishes his sermon You'll have forgiveness of sin and be baptized. Hello. It's the, it's, the, it's the waters of the new birth. It's the womb that welcomes you and you're born into the family of God. It's beautiful. Repent, believe, be baptized. That was what Peter said. But here's what happened. 
He says, and then he'll give forgiveness and the Holy Spirit to you, to your children, and to all who are far off. Come on, somebody say amen. That promise, that first Pentecostal sermon is still bearing fruit. <laughs> How else do you receive the Holy Spirit? Ask. How many think it's that? Is that, is that true? Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Unless we think that we have to measure up or like conquer something big before we are a fit recipient of the Holy Spirit, every disciple abandoned Jesus. They struck the shepherd and the sheep scattered. Come on, somebody. Yes, they had a 50 days with Jesus after resurrection, but those who think, I'm not worthy, God couldn't use me, man, bring all of your excuses and lay them at the foot of Jesus and just say, come Holy Spirit. If you could do it through a bunch of imperfect people then, you could do your work in a bunch of imperfect people now. Repent and believe and then ask, and then by the way, keep asking. Because even though we are good old Wesleyans, we believe in the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and a deeper subsequent work called sanctification and holiness, there's not just two fillings, there's a million fillings. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the present, it's your, our, our perpetual prayer is come Holy Spirit, fill me for today. How many know we leak, like Brother Moody said, D.L. Moody, we leak. He was, you know... People were like, why are you preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit everywhere you go? He's like, because we leak. <laughs> Come on, anyone who ever leak? Comprende en espanol, we leak. Sorry, Nora. I was like, what is he talking about? But how many know there's always more? He's always got enough, and he's always got more. So we repent and we respond to the gospel. Paul said this, I'd like to learn something. Did God give his Holy Spirit in Galatians 3? Did he work miracles among you? The reason he did that is because you believe that Jesus' cross was sufficient for your salvation. And then he just has a hard word for him. You guys started in the Spirit, but now you're trying to finish God's work by the flesh. Don't do it. But God gives his Holy Spirit when we believe that the cross and resurrection of Jesus are sufficient for our sin. That's what Peter preached. You killed him, but it was part of God's plan. God vindicated his death. He raised them up. He is the Lord and Israel's Messiah. Repent and believe, and the Spirit will come as the gift. New hearts, new power, new talk or speech, language, utterance, and a new community. Repent and believe and ask and keep on asking. How many today would just say, if the Holy Spirit is offered to us, then I sure would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. And he wants to fill us, not as a one-off, not as a one-and-done, 
but to empower us for a lifelong quest of being his disciples, his sons and his daughters. How do we live by the Holy Spirit once we've received the Spirit? This is just a few things. It's not exhaustive. We learn to abide and obey Jesus. There's this passage. You can go read those scriptures later. They're really good. But there's this passage in Acts 5 that always perks me, pricks me, where Peter's preaching and he's saying, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. It's a weird verse. It's a beautiful, glorious verse. But how many know if you can go from dark to darker to bleak darkness, why couldn't you go from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory to glory? Does that mean you earn the Holy Spirit? No. Everyone say no. Hello. But there's more on the other end of obedience if we just keep saying yes. That's just biblical kingdom dynamics. That doesn't mean everything goes easy or well. All of them are sort of become martyrs, <laughs> except for one. So it's not like, oh, he's going to give more of me so I can have this easy, coaxy life. But no, but how many believe, how do we stay in step with the Holy Spirit? We just keep saying yes to what he's saying. Amen? And he gives the whole, more, more. He wants to give more, more yes, more yes. I just, I'd rather... Just bug the Father because my life demands so much empowerment from above that he's just like, okay, let's just keep the flow open and the river flowing. Because those guys just keep wanting to say yes to me. <laughs> to be led and to stay in step with the Holy Spirit. That's how we live by the Spirit. Chad, but I made a mess. I used to walk by the Spirit. Now I'm so bogged down in the flesh. What do I do? Do I go back to square one? No. Repent and believe the good news again and just start walking with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Stay in step with Him. Walk with Him. One of the things I love about the Old Testament is we get to see with our eyes spiritual principles that now we live out by the Spirit. And what do we see in the Israelite the journey? We see the fire by night and the cloud by day. And just as Israel, they didn't move until he moved. They stayed as long as he stayed. How many believe that was an Old Testament reality that points to you and I's greatest privilege, which is just to do what he says, to say what he says, to go where he goes, and to wait on him. We don't have to be that smart, clever, intelligent, brilliant. We just get to be led by and stay in step with the Spirit. How else do we live by the Spirit? A lifestyle of prayer. Pray in the Spirit, Ephesians 6, 18. What does it say? Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Come on, somebody. What is included in all occasions? All occasions. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. Say all kinds of prayer. It's in the Bible. I'm quoting it. There's all kinds of prayer. This is how we stay in step with the Spirit, by staying in constant dialogue with Him. Amen. How else do we stay in step, live by the Spirit? A confessional lifestyle. My grandpa is a doctor, two doctorates. He's in his 90s. Grandma passed away a couple years ago. Dr. Don Owens, he told me when I was fresh in college studying ministry, I interviewed him because I had a project to interview heroes of, of my faith. And 
you know, here's a guy who's done a few things in his day, starting universities, seminaries, <laughs> president, all these sort of things in our denomination. And I'm interviewing him. I'm trying to get all the juicy details of all that he's accomplished, and he keeps deflecting. Because he's so stinking humble, humblest man on the planet. He, Grandpa, tell me about how you started that, how you did this, all your accomplishments. He's like chatty. And then he said one line that marked me as a teenager that I'm 37 and I still think about. Evidence of holiness at work in your life is that if or when you sin, you don't conceal it, but you get faster and faster to come back into the light to repent and to receive mercy. This is Dr. Don Owen saying the more godly you get, the quicker you are to confess when something of not, that's not of him is in you, but you want it out. That's Dr. Don Owens. So all of us got wrapped up and we I got, okay, I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. So how do I stay in the spirit? I just adopt a confessional lifestyle. Does everyone know what I mean by confessional lifestyle? Nod your head at me. Jesus, I want to stay in the light. You get brothers and sisters around you. If there's something in you that's not in him, you confess it and you keep walking. Keep walking. Live in the light, pursuing holiness. Oh, and obeying Jesus to make disciples. How many know the Spirit will empower what God commands? He won't empower everything. Sinful living, selfishness. But He will energize and empower us if we will obey what Jesus did and said to do. So where do I find more of the Holy Spirit? On the path of obedience. I can be confident that if by the grace of God I begin to walk in obedience to Him, that the provision of the Spirit will always be available on that path. So go read all of those verses. Read them all later. And just have a beautiful time in the Bible. And then... While you're reading, talk to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, let this be true of me. Man, I didn't see. Lord, show me a deeper reality of what's going on in this passage. Lord, oh, I want what you're doing in me to be done in others. You get what I'm saying. Read it. Pray it. Proclaim it. Declare it. Sing it. Journal it. Just do it. And then let's obey it together. And stand on your feet with me. I will come to you, Jesus said. I won't leave you as orphans. If he said it, he will do it. Amen? Amen? So can we just ask right now, just, just ask the Father, ask the Son, would you pour out the Holy Spirit upon me, upon us? Can you just ask him right now? It's not a magic words or formula. Just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want, if you're full of sin, confess your sin. I'm serious. Just, if you're full of shame, confess your shame. Look to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I trust you. You did what I could never do so that I could be full of your spirit. Just spend a few moments. Just talk to him. If you want to talk out loud, that's very appropriate. Just talk to him. Father, fill me. What you did then, do now.
I need power. I need a new heart. I need, I want to speak new words. I want new language to speak the wonders of God in my generation. Come upon us, Lord. Are we, in our community, in our church, we want to be a spirit-filled, spirit-formed, and spirit-led people. And just this is a simple prayer. Just say, Holy Spirit, whatever's not of you, cleanse it, wash it, and fill me with the life of Jesus by your presence. just say this, just say, Father, I receive the gift of your spirit and of your salvation because of your son, Jesus. He was crucified, buried, dead, but raised. He ascended and sat down so that you and I, so that we could become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, fill us and flow through us for your glory in this day and the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we just give God thanks for the, the provision of his spirit and his word? I remember just before you leave, you can't leave yet. Lock the doors. Serious, this is 30 seconds. Because those of you, you'd be like, okay, I just prayed. Did anything happen? And the great thing is God is the fulfiller of his word. When I was 16 years old, I prayed at the foot of my bed. And yes, I'm telling you a story, so listen. I was... I, I was in and out of rebellion, drugs, partying, pornography. I, my, my walk with Jesus until I was 16 was like this. Am I describing anybody in the room? Yes. I'm the only one. Okay. I was 16 and I prayed, Lord, make me holy. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I felt nothing. And for two weeks, guess what I did? I lived as if God answered the prayer. I wasn't faking it. It's like, I meant that prayer. It's not about how articulate you are, how fervent and passionate. He sees authentic, honest prayer. He's, that's why a prayer can be, come, help. It can be anything. He sees your heart. Sometimes you don't even have to pray. Just read Luke chapter 7. The woman's weeping at his feet, and he's like, daughter, your sins are forgiven. What? She, there's, Luke didn't write that part of the story. She didn't pray. You get what I'm saying. Jesus responds to our hearts. Amen? And with our lips, we declare exactly, you know, Romans 10. I know. So I, for two weeks, I started getting up early, reading the Bible, memorizing the book of James. I, you know, I dad all these passages I was memorizing. No feelings, no emotion. Did I change? What happened? Two weeks later, come on, 
I was in my room. I was just a teenager. I'm not saying this has to be your story. I'm just giving you permission to hunger for God to seal his work. Does that make sense? He'll meet you in a specific way. Okay? He marks us for his purposes. He knows what you need. Uh, he knew what I needed. Two weeks. I'm just pressing in. I didn't know. No, I'm just reading. I'm praying. Lord, anything change? And two weeks later, I was, again, I was, and you know what? The best posture to be in is the posture of just, I love you, G. It's just the posture of worship and prayer. I was worshiping back when CD players were a thing. And, come on. And I'm praying and I'm just listening and I'm worshiping and I'm just so zealous and I'm passionate. And I just began to weep. Again, it doesn't have to be your story, but it was my story. I wept. I just began to weep. Lord, I didn't do anything bad. I've been pretty good for two weeks, you know, since I prayed my prayer. And I go into my dad's office. I'm like, Dad, why am I crying? I can't stop crying. Again, this doesn't have to be your story. It's my story. But it could be your story. <laughs> and my dad's like, just go ask God what he's doing. It's like, oh, that's right. And so I'm not kidding. I didn't hear an audible voice. The Lord still speaks, he speaks to many people audibly, but I didn't hear an audible, but I, I heard his voice. Everyone know what I mean by heard his voice? It's the impression. And I was only 16, and the Lord said, I've got you. That was the most comforting. I have not gotten over those words. I'm 37. That's a 21-year word that I'm still exploring. And he said, I purified your heart, dude. So, press, that's why I gave you the last part of the notes. How do you, you receive the Spirit by faith? He can come with fireworks or He can deposit a little seed in you that He wants to partner with you to grow and to water and to just start following Him and loving Him and obey what you know and serve where you can serve and love how He loves. And before you know it, in any way he sees fit, he will show you that he actually has answered your cry and your prayer. He will. He's so faithful. And so can we just lift our hands if you're comfortable? We only do that because the Bible says to lift up holy hands in prayer. If you're like, you guys are weird, which is the Bible. It says it in 1 Timothy 2. And so, Lord, I pray that you would seal the work of the Holy Spirit in our church. I pray the old timers, the witness of the Spirit. I pray, it's not even old time, I just grew up hearing it. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit, that my, the people you've called me to lead in this room and online, that Lord, we would walk with the assurance that we are Jesus' people. That we are anointed, adopted, and filled with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. God, we don't have to guess or wish, we can know and walk in light of. So I pray that confidence, that clarity, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen.